0: Hello and welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell.
1: And I'm Rick Walker. And I'm
0: speaking through my sinuses again. But But you're better than you were. I feel fine. It's just this stupid head cold that won't die, whatever that particular flavor of bug was. But hey, we're here. Um, Good to be back. Sorry about the delay, but you know, obviously didn't want to be coughing up a lung or something on the area kind of detracts from the overall podcast experience
1: it, it can it can
0: <laughs> so um we've got a bunch of stuff today um a couple of things there's been just recently this week new lens announcements from nikon and then we have uh, uh um, we um there was a new release of uh lightroom acr and mm-hmm. we have a listener question so lots of stuff Absolutely. So, um, let's start off with...
1: And it's an interesting question, too. It pertains to highlight metering. So,
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good one to know about. um, Yeah. Because a lot of people don't even know it exists, um, much less what to use it for. Yeah. So, before we jump into the lens announcements, I want to bring up Lightroom slash ACR got a significant... This is significant, you know, new features added type of update last Mm -hmm. week, which we were going to talk about a little bit. But there's some particularly nice little new features like local grain and some stuff you can do with the curve tool regarding color. But rather than talk about these now, um, you went ahead and made a tutorial video, which is available to our patrons on our Patreon site. Uh, you can also link it from image doctorsphoto.com. so if you're a show sponsor or higher you can go in and watch rick's video and not only did what i thought was great about the video you made was that you not only sort of talked about the features but you gave some practical applications because a lot of times they'll say hey here's this thing you can do now and it's like okay but why would I do that? <laughs> Why would yeah. I want to do that? Right. And I think you did a really good job of, of offering up some examples. So our show patrons, um, regardless of their uh, tier level, will be able to watch that video on our on our site, imagedoctorsphoto.com, or over on our Patreon page, which links to that. So we appreciate all of the support from our from our patrons, and we look forward to making even more content for you
1: especially with your voice being in a little bit better shape again
0: yeah i have some ideas for stuff and i just haven't been able to do that um i should also point out we we did publish another couple of articles that are on the if you have mm-hmm. not been to our website in a while um we have an article um, you know you had published an article on the sort of slightly different type of zoom range the extra wide to to short telephoto zoom Right, uh, So that, that relates to something like your Sony 20 to 70 millimeter or the Olympus 8 to, 8 to um, 25 millimeter. It's an interesting zoom range. Um, and you had some good commentary on that. And there's a new article as of um, beginning of the week on uh, a, a, ta- a technique that I love to use when I'm challenged, when there's bright sun, maybe no clouds, and you've got to deal with the sun in your shot. And that's how to create starbursts. You can mm-hmm. do this with the sun. You can also do it with any point source of light. And it's it's actually not that hard to do, but it's it's not something you do in post-processing. Uh, you can do it directly with your lens. So if you're interested in learning how to use to create starbursts in your in your images for a creative effect, that article is also online and that's available to our patrons.
1: Yeah, who we definitely appreciate because they Ab- absolutely help us actually do this. So, so- trying to the the other thing I'll I'll just say before we jump into the um product reviews and stuff because actually relates to one of them in a way is I did get some fun shooting in um last week or so including going out to the paint mines which aren't really paint mines it's a Badlands area out to the east of Colorado Mm -hmm. Springs. I actually took the sony 20 to 70 and it was cool just delightful because as you know it's a pretty tight space and Mm -hmm. you don't really need long focal lengths you need wider ones but then i also photographed the parade which was fun and i was just using a 70 to 200 to eight with that wide open and i got so lucky with the lighting oh i know bright overcast yes so not the harsh sunlight that we get here so often
0: well and last year that's what we got was that harsh right. it was so hard to work with those shots yeah. but i saw some of your photos and they were wonderful
1: it was just fun to do in I fact like, some of
0: those photos were
1: ones you used in your video that that was an outtake oh well to be clear that was one that wasn't it didn't turn no no no. Out, i'm just saying but, but it was
0: a photo from that sure from that, sure, from sure. that parade so that was the, the video, it, it wasn't a video outtake, it was a photo outtake. We yes. all have those. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But anyway, F- fun shooting. So I like doing that.
0: Finally get this email the other day from Nikon from BH that the two telephoto zooms that have been seemingly on Nikon's roadmap forever are announced um and available for pre-order. And these are a 70 to 180 28 eight. And the long awaited, at least from my perspective, um, 180 to 600 a five, six to 6'3, six, I believe. Yeah. So it
1: just loses a third of a stop. Almost which is that pretty angle.
0: great actually that for, for a, for a yeah. zoom that of, of that uh, range. So th- this um, both of these are interesting. And I think we should probably talk about them in the context and the niche in which they fill and, and where where they might fit into someone's kit, um, because there's some potential alternatives, right? And and so, um,
1: which one do you want to start with first? Let's do this. What I think is the simpler one first, which is the seventy to 180 two okay. eight. Okay. And, and we could even think about the parade that I just right. photographed as an example.
0: Well, this this is an interesting one. This is, I believe the third lens in a trio of what are effectively Tamron lens designs that Nikon is building with their own branding um, if I am correct
1: so I think um, Tamron's building them and or well, but they Nikon have Nikon saying, put on this yeah, Well, whatever table. right yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah so they're Nikon lenses but they're made by by Tamron and so right. this completes a trio of two eight lenses that are actually pretty nice uh they're they're fairly lightweight so you've got the 17 to 28. Uh, which which I messed with um, and and it's it good. The, the 28 to 75, which we both own um, because we like it. It's a nice general purpose lens, but it's also very good with infrared um, right. we've noticed. And now this one, the 70 to 180. So this completes a trio of 28 glass. Um, what I really like about this one is its size. Cause some people might say, well, Nikon's already got their 70 to 200 to eight S. So why do we need this one? And I can think of quite a number of reasons why you might want this one.
1: Yeah. For um, one net that, that lens, which is a very good lens, which I used to own. You're talking um, about the, the S lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's considerably more expensive and considerably bigger and heavier. Um, you know, it's optically very, very good, but it, it, it's a little bit of a beast in comparison with this one, which is really pretty small and compact. And, you know, like we were talking about the Tamron thing, this has been out for a few years in other mounts like the Sony mount. Um, so, you know, I can, I can talk about it. I don't own it, I've used one. Um, and it is really nice, nicely made lens, feels nice and solid. Optically, it's very good. Um, it does not have built-in stabilization. But, you know, if you're using a, you know, like a Nikon Z6, Z7, uh, Z8, Z9, you're going to be in great shape with the built-in IBIS. It's it's going to be fine at 180 millimeters. Mm-hmm. Maybe right. not quite as good as if it had had built-in vibration reduction but you know plenty good yeah and I'm, I'm looking at some
0: specs just in a comparison i do this over on the B H website a lot of times um it is significantly smaller than the um 70 to 200s so you're talking um you know uh, nearly um uh, almost three inches shorter on the in the barrel length. Diameter is about the same, but the um the weight, it, it's like 58% of the weight of the larger one. So it's you're huge. talking 795 gram lens versus a 1360 gram lens. That is significant. The short barrel length is significant when you're trying to pack things. It means you might have ways of packing that lens in a smaller bag vertically in a compartment rather than lying it on its side. These are real things. This is not, you know, this is stuff that you and I have both struggled with Um, 67 millimeter front filter. Not, not, not terribly. You know, those are, those are affordable versus
1: 77.
0: Right. Um, And I believe the other two lenses in that series all use 67 millimeter front filters. So that's cool. I think so. So you could build this trio. I uh I'll have to go back and check, but you could build this theoretical three kit, three lens trio, and you'd have a pretty solid kit for a lot of subjects because these are all two eight lenses. Um nine aperture blades, rounded, you know. So, really, what what do I see as the, the drawback? It really just comes down to whether or not that your camera's IBIS system really makes that difference i mean because it doesn't have the built-in vibration reduction system in the lens
1: Um, yeah and and what i would say is unless you're using something like a a z50 or a zfc that does not have ibis right you're going to be just fine um and it's it's eleven hundred dollars less expensive yeah So, so i think for someone that likes the idea of having a 70 to 200 2.8 class lens but just doesn't use it often enough to really warrant the expense or just who doesn't want the size and weight for whatever reason this is kind of like a no-brainer well and let me
0: throw it into a different angle Mm -hmm. this in my opinion from its size from the size and weight perspective this is actually a viable alternative to the 70 to 200 f4 vr that we both used to carry around mm-hmm. it's the, shorter,
1: f-mount
0: one. the f-mount one it's shorter it's lighter and you don't need to use an ftz adapter right so i find you know one of the things we had talked about was you know is nikon got to bring out these smaller lighter f4 lenses well this is a 2.8 lens that's pretty small and light so hey you get an extra stop and it's actually less expensive than that lens if you were to buy it new today so <laughs> you know it's right there so lots of good things now am i going to go out and get one probably not because it just doesn't fit my current kit needs but i could absolutely see this slotting in for someone who's doing you know more casual landscape and travel photography and wants a faster lens um
1: and i'll just throw out one other thing too um this would make a very nice portrait lens i I was just thinking that rick yeah
0: you you got it yeah absolutely very useful range Okay, so then, then there's the one that's been on the roadmap for for seemingly forever. Um, that is the one eighty to six hundred, and it's a five six to six three.
1: Um, we and don't know. And it's only sell, selling for seventeen hundred dollars. Well, guess. yeah,
0: I mean, there, there, there's the answer right there, right? Mm-hmm. Here, here's a lens that gets you to six hundred millimeters for just under 1700 US dollars. That right there is probably 90% of what you need to know. But no, there's some there's some other things to to consider with this. So we've been waiting for this for a long time because I think a lot of people are bird and wildlife enthusiasts and honestly aren't interested in plunking down three, four, five grand on a lens that weighs six, seven, eight pounds. You know, even the lighter lenses by today's standards are still pretty darn heavy and require support. Um, they're not that easy to handhold.
1: Um, so so here we go. And there are two other lenses that I, I think this is a shared opinion within the Nikon lineup that we, we would see people Comparing this against and thinking about do I replace this lens? Mm -hmm. Do I complement it with, you know, this new lens? And that's the 100 to 400 Z mount lens. Right. And the F mount 200 to 500 5.6. Right. Which we've both
0: owned in the past.
1: Right. Uh, Now, what we're not talking
0: about are some of the third party. F mount like the Sigma Tamron, you know, there, there are just one, too many of them to 150 to that you know, yeah. those are those are different. So let's talk about significant what caught our eye with, with this particular lens besides the price tag, because that actually came in a lot lower than what I was guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, by a few hundred dollars. So hey, no complaints from me there. Yeah. Uh when you look at the the design, where where this lens really um, comes in, it's, you know, it's not small. It's, you know, it's over 12 inches long. Um, but it's a little bit lighter than the 200 to 500. Okay. Mm-hmm. and But not radically different. The 200 to 500 is a little over five pounds. This one is 4.3, maybe about 4.5 when you add a tripod collar on it in the hood. So four and a half pounds. Not a lightweight, but not a, you know,
1: six, seven, eight pound, monster either one thing that makes this discussion easier for us is that um i've used the sony 100 to 400 which is virtually identical to the nikon 100 to 400 in every single way and i've owned the 200 to 600 5 6 to 6 3 which is virtually identical in every right. way right. so it at least for, one of the things i can talk about is what i find those shooting experiences to be like um and how they would mm-hmm. relate to what an icon owner would experience with those two right i think ergonomics
0: are where you're going to find this lens to be significantly a step up huge step up from the say the 200 to 500 if we're looking at it versus the 100 to 400 the 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 It's a little different, obviously, zoom range notwithstanding. But there's two huge features in this lens and its design that, in my opinion, make it absolutely better than the 200 to 500. And I'm not talking about optical quality. I'm talking about handling.
1: Because, honestly, the 200 to 500 is a very decent lens.
0: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I've gotten a number of great great images with it. Yeah, very, very good. Um, But there's two features that are really, really critical. One is that it has fully internal zoom. What does that mean? The lens barrel length doesn't change when you turn the zoom ring. That makes balancing easier, hand-holding easier,
1: all of those things. And, And I know this is going to be exactly the same as it is with the Sony. With the Sony, I can just zoom from 200 to 600 using the tip of my pinky.
0: Well, this is the other thing. It has a 70 degree rotation range between
1: 180 and 600. This is turning the ring. And that's similar. But the other important thing is it's so light and quick. And yeah. I'm certain that will be the same. So, And it just makes it effortless compared to cranking, you know, uh, the barrel on the 200 to 500, about 180 degrees or so to get from one end to the other and you know the the length of the lens changes the balance changes um this is a really nice thing
0: my my i had a you know a very positive relationship with the 200 to 500 when it came to optics Mm -hmm. it was a great lens great range optically very good but boy did it get cumbersome to use in the field even on a even on a tripod, when that balance changes, you know, the it, it's difficult. I mean, it, it really is. And it's five pounds. It does get heavy. Um, and that means hand-holding it for prolonged periods of time is difficult. I don't see that being tremendously different with this one. Do you, Rick?
1: No. And again, just using my experience with the equivalent Sony lenses, the 100 to 400, I can hand-hold all day. You know, and and like mm-hmm. the last time that we went up to photograph mountain goats on Mount Evans, I had both the one hundred to four hundred and the two hundred to six hundred. I used the one hundred to four hundred more because in a lot of cases it was enough focal length, but more importantly, I could hold it for a long time. With the right. two hundred to six hundred, I used it for maybe a, a third. Of the number of shots that I used, the 100-400 for, it worked great. But man, my arms started getting tired. It's a real thing.
0: Right. And if you're doing a lot of, and if you think about why you would want a 600, I mean, this is, you're doing smaller birds. It's not because necessarily distant wildlife. Maybe you're shooting sports for your, you know, whatever. Um, This is a lens that if you're going to use for prolonged periods, you're just going to want a monopod or something on it
1: yeah just because at the I, very least be able to plop it on a jacket that's on a rock or something like that you know just something to give your arms a break
0: you know you know keep in mind a nikon z9 body with battery is about three pounds and and a z8 is about two so you're adding so you're, you're talking about six seven pound kit with with that configuration
1: yeah um, so those that's gonna push the combined weight up higher than i'm talking about so yeah th- that's what i, I think mean people so, will feel that
0: you're you're gonna notice it for sure and yeah so so you know the looking against the 100 400 which you have a version that's similar to what i have i have the nikon they're lens. both great lenses yeah you know, they're, they're optically very good you can use it with the teleconverter um you know it it has a extending zoom barrel zoom but not by very much it doesn't change things drastically um when you're using it um but it's very much handholdable. it's still kind of heavy don't get me wrong i mean i have had clients you know that that feel the weight of that combo it's it's not petite okay no um it's
1: very good for me and this is just helping our listeners calibrate you know Mm -hmm. what we're saying I can shoot with that lens for a long, long, long oh, time. Oh yeah,
0: As did I down in Panama. That's yeah. what I used, you know, and yeah. put a converter on it. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can use teleconverters with this lens. Um, you know, you're going to be at F9 effectively. That should work. But if you're in dim conditions, you're just probably going to. It's It's not about a loss of optical quality. It's about a loss of focus speed and accuracy that tends to happen there. And then, of course, you're at f9. You're going to be shooting up in high ISO land a lot more. Not a deal breaker, but just something to consider. Um, it's not an S lens. This two, this 180 to 200 uh, to 600. So that just means it's built a little bit lower specs than than Nikon's top of the line. But I personally think, you know, if you're doing, if you're into birds, this is your lens. I just would say that if you're into birding at all you know you go down to florida or wherever this is probably the lens you would want yeah um the 100 to 400 is great but you're going to find yourself wanting a teleconverter on it most of the time for for smaller birds especially so this gives you 200 millimeters of native focal length to play with which is should be outstanding throw on 1.5 dx crop and now you have a 900 equivalent very which is a lot that's, that's a tremendous amount. So not the smallest lens. It's still going to be, you know, it's four by 12 and a half inches long. Um, you're going to have the big hood on it. You've got a, a foot. You can take the collar off. Um, so packing it, it's not going to be tiny. But if if you were on some kind of birding wildlife trip, this could be like your one lens and you would be very happy with it, I think.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: So that's my take anything else that i missed rick
1: no you know and and mine will take a teleconverter too but i i don't think i've ever used one with it
0: yeah i just don't think that it's really necessary most of the time right uh, you know it's just because it can doesn't mean it would be a configuration you'd want to use there's a lot of trade-offs with teleconverters optical quality not not being the worst of them you know it's like that's yeah there's other things anyway um We want to move on to a show topic suggestion that we got a little while ago from our, actually, they emailed us from our Image Doctors website, imagedoctorsphoto.com. And why don't you uh, bring us up to speed on what this question was?
1: Sure. So the, the question came from Kyle McMahon and what he was asking about is highlight metering, which is uh, found in some Nikon cameras, some Sony cameras, and pretty much the same thing as far as I can tell, having used both. Um, and so I'll paraphrase his questions. Um, you know, One is, is it basically automatic exposed to the right? He said he understands it will sometimes produce some goofy, often dark, straight out of camera exposures. Um But he's wondering if it would be a good match for low volume workflows where you're going to already edit the raw file like landscape stuff. And is it the end all be all metering mode for that kind of shooting? Um, So it's a good question. First, is it automatically? I mean, is it essentially auto exposed to the right? No. In fact, it's
0: quite the opposite of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not that. Um, and I think one thing that's really important to point out with this mode and other meeting, metering modes, they're really not set up for raw metering. They're setting, they're set up for JPEGs. And that's so all of them. All of them. Yeah. And all, all brands, you know, et cetera. So what it is doing, in effect, is trying to create a, a good JPEG where the highlight areas aren't blown out and still have a bit of detail in them. So it's not trying to peg things all the way to the right or anything. No,
0: it's actually shifting things to the left,
1: if you think about it. it, It'll just depend on the shot.
0: Yeah. It's trying to ignore. um, It it, it is designed for scenes where you have a bright, small, bright subject on a fairly dark background. Birds on dark water or on black rocks or theater shots, where you've got someone in in a spotlight and everything else behind them. If you use something like matrix metering in those situations, even though the metering may be biased somewhat towards your subject, towards the focus point, the camera is going to see all this dark area and really try to make it more middle toned. It just does this. And it will do that at the expense of your highlights. They'll clip, they'll blow out. So what some manufacturers have started doing is to say, we'll make a metering mode that is biased to protect highlights and let shadows go dark. Doesn't always protect the highlights perfectly. Depends on how much highlight information is in the viewfinder, but it works quite well. And where it works well, in my opinion, is when you're shooting in fast situations where light is changing and you want to be able to use a form of auto exposure because it will then just keep that exposure from blowing out highlights. It, It's basically you go out shooting birds you go, well, I'm going to dial in minus two thirds minus a stop of EV just to keep the highlights and the white feathers from blowing out. This sort of does that for you. Would you agree Rick?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah um, Let's take a different situation. If you were to do a lot of stage photography, the traditional method may have been to spot meter the subject, get a meter reading for exposure, you know, for shutter speed, aperture, ISO, and then just set it on manual, fixed everything, fixed settings so that the exposure values don't change. Because what happens in a dark theater is that the stuff's changing all the time, and depending on where you've got your, you know, spot meter looking you know, you're going to get wildly different values so the the spot metering was never intended to be used as an auto metering system it was meant to measure and then set an exposure manually that doesn't change right. so that those dark backgrounds remain dark no matter where you're pointing the camera this gives you that flexibility of if maybe the light's changing a little bit so exposure values might change a little bit You can use an automatic mode in changing conditions where the scene is evaluated and the highlights are placed, you know, maybe one uh, to two stops above middle tone. Right. Wouldn't you say? Right.
1: Somewhere in there. Yeah. Now, you know, he also asked if, if this would be a really great match for landscape shooting Um, and I would say no, I, I would, I mean, you can use anything. For landscape shooting, if you pop the histogram up in the viewfinder, if you're using, you know, a mirrorless camera, it really doesn't matter. Right. It, or live more, view
0: on a DSLR.
1: I mean, that's, yeah, it really doesn't matter. It's just how how much of an exposure adjustment do you have to do to get the histogram the way you want it. Right. Um, but in this case, I what I do is I don't use this mode for landscapes. I just use normal matrix cuz like we said it doesn't really matter. I look at the the histogram and if I care about preserving a lot of shadow detail I'll expose it a bit to the right, you know? And the same thing would hold true with this. There's no inherent advantage you don't automatically go to a better point with it. It may be a worse point that it goes to actually.
0: Well, this one comes that it, down to over versus underexposes GTA. stuff too much. You know, there's a so, RAW versus JPEG argument. And again, the manufacturers, every control, you know, the color controls, even white balance to it, you know, but exposure modes, they're the metering patterns, they're all designed to give you something that presumably would look good straight out of the camera.
1: As a JPEG.
0: As a JPEG. And if you're shooting in RAW, you have so much more flexibility and latitude. And that's where you can start talking about, you know, these concepts like exposing to the right or whatever. But I'm with you when I'm set up on a tripod for a landscape, it doesn't matter what metering mode I'm in because I'm looking at the histogram either on the LCD or through the viewfinder and simply adjusting my exposure so that the histogram isn't clipping anything or I'm placing the data where I want it to be so that when i go back in post i can make it look right later the idea that what comes out of my camera is not the finished product as a jpeg and i think that's the difference Mm -hmm. so hopefully kyle that answers your question and we appreciate that and it's a good question send us your questions for show topics um those those of you who are our uh, patrons can send us a message as well they can send send us a message through our the patreon message board as well you can directly uh uh dm us so there's all kinds of ways to um suggest topics um that is all the time we have for this week
1: my goodness i don't think we had trouble using it up
0: no i'll hopefully sound a little bit better next week my apologize my apologies again for the delay um but we'll get it we'll get there um and uh, hopefully we'll have some some other ideas to talk about. But again, thank you once again to all of those uh, show supporters. There is that bonus video waiting for you out there right now. If you haven't checked it out, go over and check it out, imagedoctorsphoto.com. And Rick will show you all the cool stuff that they've added to Lightroom um, in the most recent release. And more to come. All right. Until next time, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.